Hello everybody and welcome back. Welcome back to another episode of Empty Tomb Radio. My name is Dustin. Today we're looking at Matthew 23. I must say Matthew 23, this chapter is a chapter that I by far have the most notes on. Um, These are the most extensive notes I have ever taken for any one of my episodes. If you're a note-taker, then this episode is for you. Uh, I took all these notes yesterday. They're fairly uh, uh, fresh in my, in my brain. I don't know how many, of my, how many of my notes I'll get to. But uh, there's a lot of good stuff in here. There's a lot of great teachings from Jesus. There's a lot of crazy stuff going on in the world right now. Uh, I just got an alert on my phone right before I started recording this. Uh, I'm a, I like basketball. I've been watching a lot of basketball lately. and uh, NBA canceled the rest of their regular season. Coachella's canceled. Uh, I heard next week they're canceling all flights to Europe. And coronavirus is in full swing. I can't remember any time in my life where something like this has happened. Maybe besides like 9-11... I can't I can't remember. Um, so there's a lot of crazy stuff going on. So I think now more than ever, we really need to dive into the word and remember the promises that have been given to us by our father. I tell you what, before the end of the world, before the, the coming of Christ, a lot more crazy things than, than the coronavirus are going to be happening. So part of this goal of this podcast was was to prepare for some end time stuff. We can't be a follower of Christ and ignore the end time stuff. So with that being said, there are a lot of uh, people who disagree about stuff about the end times. And if you are... Pre-trib person, post-trib, it don't matter. Um, I don't think that's going to affect your salvation, but I can say that arguing with people on the internet is not going to help anything. I saw some uh, nasty interactions going on today on the Twitter sphere, and I was like, I was, I, I was in the conversation. Some guy posted a thing about uh, pre-tribulation rapture. I was like, hey man, this is very interesting. Thanks for posting this. Um, I'm not a, I'm not a believer of this particular viewpoint that you have, but uh, thanks for sharing. I was like, I'll, I'll definitely look into this. You brought a compelling piece of information that I wasn't aware of, and then I was in this conversation where that guy who posted the thing just got attacked by this other guy, and then all this crazy stuff was going on back and forth, and all these people are saying how they should be ashamed of all this stuff and the people in the Middle East are ashamed for your escapism theology. <laughs> I was like, whoa, man, like, this this escalated quickly. I'm just going to... I didn't know how to remove myself from the conversation. I was like, I'm just getting out of this conversation. This is... I don't know how I ended up here, <laughs> but I don't want to be here and I don't want to be arguing with some guy on the internet about something that could have been taken out of context. So I just muted the conversation. I just carried on. Um, 
there's been a lot of stuff like that going on. People are really on edge lately. And as followers of Christ, what have I said a million times on this podcast? They will know us by the love that we have for one another and the love that we have for the world. They will know us by our love, right? So that is what we need to be known as. Not how smart you think you are for scripture. You're not a, <laughs> most of us aren't Bible scholars. If you want to know a few Bible scholars, reach out to me and I'll, I'll give you their, their contact information because uh, they're much smarter than we are. And I guarantee you no Bible scholars are listening to me right now. <laughs> so <laughs> with that being said, Matthew 23 is an amazing chapter. It's pretty long. This is going to be a long episode. I'm in for the long haul. Um, we have pages and pages of notes to go over. So with that being said, uh, be prepared for me jumping around scripture um, all over the place. And uh, before I get started, I'm just going to say a quick prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for today, Lord. I pray that this message blesses all that hear it. And I pray that you speak through me, through these words that are recorded for us. I pray that we don't lose sight. I pray that we never forget that we were bought by your blood. And Father, the day that you come back will be a glorious day. But until then, let us unify in your heavenly name. In the powerful name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Chapter 23, verse 1. Then spake Jesus to the multitude and to his disciples. So, I know chapter 22 was a little bit ago in real time. But at the end of, at the end of 22, we talked about how it says that from that day forward, after Jesus won all their scriptural chess matches with the Pharisees and with the chief priests... It says they aren't going to question him anymore. And we know that they are going to resort to violence and conspiracy against Jesus. So uh, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the Herodians, they all retreated at the end of 22. And Jesus is here with his disciples and the multitudes. Verse 2, saying, The scribes and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. All therefore whatsoever they bid you observe. That observe and do, but do not ye after their works, for they say and do not. For they bind heavy burdens and grievous to be borne and lay them on men's shoulders, but they themselves will not move them with one of their fingers. Jesus is warning everybody about the scribes and the Pharisees that he was just talking to in the last couple chapters. He had warned his disciples about the Pharisees a year earlier, back in Matthew 15, verse 7, 15-7. And ye hypocrites, well did Isaiah prophesy of you, saying, These people draweth nigh unto me with their mouth, and honoreth me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. That's Matthew 15-7. And also in Matthew 16, 5 through 12 just a few episodes back 
Matthew 16, 5 through 12. Then Jesus said unto them, Take heed and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And they reasoned among themselves, saying, It is because we have taken no bread. Which when Jesus perceived, he said unto them, O ye of little faith, why reason ye among yourselves, because ye have brought no bread? Do ye not understand, neither remember the five loaves and the five thousands, how many baskets ye took up? Neither seven loaves and the four thousands, how many baskets ye took up? How is it that ye do not understand that spake to you and concerning not bread? And ye should be aware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Then understood they how he bade them not beware of leaven of bread, but the doctrine of the Pharisees and that of the Sadducees. So Jesus has been warning his disciples of these guys for at least a year now. Uh, as far as I can tell, Matthew 15 and 16 took place about a year before Matthew 23. And we find that the that Jesus he, he goes he this chapter is called the eight woes because Jesus says woe unto you about eight different times about eight different subjects um depending on which I guess search engine you look, some call it the seven woes. So I don't know how many woes there are at any count, but it depends. So we find that there's um you know seven or eight different woes that Jesus Jesus does, but there's also about seven or eight different types of Pharisees that are recorded in the Talmud. Now the Talmud it's like the Torah. It's one of the Jewish holy books. But it's a little different. So the Torah is the first five books of the Bible. So that's Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. That's Torah. The books of Moses. These are the books that are attributed to the personal writing of Moses himself. The Talmud is a little different. That's a record of their oral traditions. It's commentaries based on the Torah and how to apply your Torah to your daily life. But in this book of the Talmud, there is recorded seven types of Pharisees. And I got this off of uh, the blueletterbible.com. So the different types of Pharisees, there was the shoulder Pharisee. So these were the guys who wore good deeds and righteousness on his shoulder for everyone to see. There was... A wait a little Pharisee who always intended to do good, but deeds would always find a reason for, for doing them later. There was the bruised or bleeding Pharisee. This guy was so holy that he would turn his head away from any woman in public, which meant he was always bumping into things and tripping and injuring himself. Now, these different types of Pharisees, these aren't specific guys. They're, these aren't, you know, like this guy was this Pharisee. These are just the different types that... Um, or, or that you encounter or that you would back then. So we have the humpback Pharisee who was so humble, he walked bent over and barely lifting his feet so everyone could see how humble he was. <laughs> then there was the always counting Pharisee who was always counting up his good deeds and believed he put God in debt for all the good things he had done. Then there was the fearful Pharisee who did good because he was terrified that God would strike him with judgment if he did not. 
And then there was the God-fearing Pharisee. This Pharisee is the one who really did love God and did all of his good, de good deeds to please, to please the God that he loved. So the Jews are aware of the different types of Pharisees that there, that there are. So not all Pharisees are bad. Uh, they do get a bad rap in the New Testament, but uh, there were some good ones out there who really were trying to do the good works in the name of God that they love. So in the first four verses here, we have a reference for uh, the seat that they sit on. Verse 2, the scribes and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. Moses' seat was something that uh, was in front of the synagogues where the authoritative teacher would have sat at the time. So it was made out of stone, sitting in front of the synagogue or the temple. This is called the Moses' seat. Uh, and they were instructed to respect that man because he holds a position of authority, right? So God put them in the position for, for a reason. Jesus is saying in verses 2 through 4 that do not lose or do not let the God's law and the teaching of God lose its authority because of teachings of these wicked men. And verse 4 says they put heavy burdens. Now we compare heavy burdens to Jesus' burden in Matthew 11. Matthew 11, verse 30, his yoke is easy and his burden is light. These religious leaders were burden bringers, and Jesus was a burden taker. Verse 4, for they bind heavy burdens. It says it right there. So these guys are... Basic, Jesus came and basically taught the opposite that these guys were teaching. Which, of course, as we see even with the, the conversation I've referenced about uh, what happened on Twitter. These are two guys of the same religion uh, on Twitter arguing. So we can see when opposing views meet, there is no civil outcome when it comes to these religious people um, but in this case we have a clear distinction there is one person who is absolutely right who is jesus and the pharisees who are absolutely wrong jesus came and fulfilled the law the pharisees uh as we saw they do all their works not for god but they do their works for the approval of men and that leads us right into verse 5 uh, verses 5 through 10. But all their works they do for to be seen of men, and they make broad their phylacteries and enlarge the borders of their garments, and love uppermost rooms at feasts and the chief seats in the synagogues, and greetings in the markets, and to be called of men, Rabbi, Rabbi, 
But be not ye called rabbi, for one is your master, even Christ, and all ye are brethren. And call no man your father upon the earth, for one is your father which is in heaven. Neither be ye called masters, for one is your master, even Christ. So right there, they do their works to be seen for the praise of men. For those of you who have been with me since the beginning, if we go back to Matthew 6, I'm going to read Matthew 6, verses 1 through 6. Take heed, this is on the Sermon on the Mount. This is when Jesus is on the Sermon on the Mount. Take heed that ye do not do your alms before men to be seen of them. Otherwise, ye have no reward of your Father which is in heaven. Therefore, when thou doest thine alms, do not sound a trumpet before thee, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may have glory of men. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. But when thou doest alms, let not thy left hand know what thy right hand doeth, that thine alms may be in secret, and thy father, which seeth in secret himself, shall reward thee openly. And when thou prayest, thou shalt not be as the hypocrites are, for they love to pray, standing in the synagogues and in the corners of the streets, that they may be seen of men. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. But thou, when thou prayest, enter into thy closet, and when thou hast shut the door, pray to thy father which is in secret, and thy father which seeth in secret shall award thee openly. This is exactly what's going on here. All the way from Matthew 6, full circle to Matthew 23. Jesus' teaching is so precise and so incredible. His message has stayed the same throughout his whole ministry. This chapter mentions phylacteries, and I didn't know what this was, so I looked it up. Um, these phylacteries, I don't even know if I'm saying that right. It's a Greek word. It's a Greek word for keeping things wherein the law was kept. <laughs> That's the definition I found. It's keeping things in things that uh, you're supposed to keep laws in, I guess. These phylacteries are small leather boxes. And they would keep these little tiny scrolls with scriptures on them. And they would tie them to, the, to their arms and to their head with leather straps. So they keep these laws in these little leather things. And they strap them to, ourselves, to themselves. And Jesus is saying they make broad their phylacteries and enlarge the borders of their garments. So their outward appearance is... It's, look Look how great I am. Look how great my phylactery is where I keep all of my scriptures and all of my laws, right? But on the, the inside, it's a completely different story because we see they're teaching false doctrine the whole time. It also talks about their titles. So they loved having these titles. They would collect these titles, such as rabbi and father. But Jesus says, you are all brethren. Which means you are not, you are all brothers and sisters. You are all, you are not to be exalted above others based on your titles. So 
so I think when we think of this, we think of mainly probably the Catholic Church, right? I don't think you call your pastor father. Um, but as we see, Jesus didn't intend this to be an absolute, I guess, prohibition. Uh, he didn't forbid it forever because Jesus himself was called rabbi multiple times. And in fact, I'm not defending more Catholics here, <laughs> um, but Paul calls himself a father in 1 Corinthians chapters 4, verse 15. Um, in Philippians chapter 2, verse 22, Paul calls other Christians his children in Galatians. Paul calls himself a teacher. So Paul is very familiar with titles. He was a Pharisee himself, but... It was allowed in his circumstance, but Paul also, I mean, he had the goods to back it up. He was an incredible teacher, and he wrote, I mean, a majority of the New Testament. So we do see here that Jesus' teaching on titles would be for these guys who collect titles and would... Uh, I, I guess, exalt themselves above others based on their title. So, their titles, these things that they would strap to them, their phylacteries, these were, this was symbolism of their quote-unquote spirituality, right? And this is something that Jesus does not like. Verses 11 through 12. But he that is greatest among you shall be your servant, and whosoever shall exalt himself shall be abased, and he who shall humble himself shall be exalted. So we just talked about the, the prideful Pharisees, right? Where their outward appearances, them praying in public, them sitting on the seat of Moses, being in open, how, how great they are, right? And Jesus comes in and, and he says, we should measure our greatness for how well we serve others. Jesus spoke of himself as a servant and says, they who are exalted will be humbled and they who are humbled will be exalted. So we can see, see at the end of this life or if this life doesn't end before Jesus comes back, that promise will be fulfilled. Those who are, are prideful, will very much so be humbled. And those who are humbled will be lifted up in the kingdom and they will be exalted. Verse 13. But woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for ye shut up the kingdom of heaven against men, for ye neither go in yourselves, neither suffer ye them that are entering to go in. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees and hypocrites, for you devour widows' houses, and for a pretense make a long prayer. Therefore you shall receive greater damnation. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees and hypocrites, for ye compass the sea and the land to make one proselyte. And when he is made, ye make him twofold more the child of hell than yourselves. So there's three woes right there. Maybe I should count how many woes we got 
So there's three. I'll probably forget. Let me know how many wells we go over. So there's three. So Jesus calling them the hypocrite. We've seen this word hypocrite so many times. So finally, like, we get a definition for the word hypocrite. The word hypocrite means somebody who is playing a part. So you'd say they're an actor. Um, they were hypocrites for restricting access to the kingdoms for all their man-made laws, right? They would have people be marked ceremonially unclean. They would be having tables and, and selling stuff in front of the temples, not allowing access for to the altars for the disabled people. Um, they were pretty powerful and they would prevent people from getting closer to God. I wrote down Matthew 18, verse 6 in my notes here. Let's just see what that says. I'm uh, pretty quick on the draw with my Bible verses because I got uh, my Bible app open on my iPad. I don't know why I didn't think of this the first 25 episodes I did, but... Uh, uh, Matthew 18, verse 6. Oh, that's when Jesus is talking about his little ones. But whoso shall offend one of these little ones which believe in me, it would be better for him to have a millstone hanging around his neck that he were drowned in the depth of the sea. So we see that Jesus, he's saying in verse 15 in, in Matthew 23. Sorry, I know we're jumping all over the place. I promise this makes sense. Just follow along. Verse, chapter 23, verse 15. For ye compass the sea and land to make one proselyte. So that word proselyte, that'd be like a convert uh, to uh, somebody who converted to, to Judaism. Um, so that would mean they had full radical change in their life, complete circumcision, circumcision, complete submission to Yahweh. Um, so he said, you will travel the sea and the land to make, to get one person converted. And when he is made converted, you make him more a child of hell than yourselves. So you can see, I mean, people, this right here, this reminds me of the very charismatic evangelists that you see who are teaching false doctrines, such as the Jehovah's Witnesses, the Mormons. Um, they're going around converting people all over the place to these false doctrines that they have. And saying that Jesus saying you're making them a child of hell just like yourselves. So when this goes back to my soy chorizo episode of whose fault is it if uh, I tell that they have this is soy chorizo and this is what chorizo is and you've had you just have soy chorizo the rest of your life thing is chorizo, it's both your faults. Says it right here. I didn't have this planned by the way, but God answered my. Uh, my my question in a few days time sorry i got a phone call god answered my question in a few days time another interesting thing that happened to me with matthew 23 was i was listening to another podcast um 
Like I said, I drive a lot, so I listen to a lot of podcasts. That's why I started this. Um, they had a guy on who was former Luciferian, so he was part of the Church of Satan. He converted to Mormonism. He had said that uh, when he converted to Mormonism, whoever converted him said, oh, you'll fit in great here because the God that we worship in the Mormon temple is actually Lucifer himself. So he went to the temples and he saw all of this occult symbolism and, you know, the, the Mormon tabernacle temple in Salt Lake. And he says, just very satanic organization. Uh, if you want to listen to that yourself, that was on the confessionals podcast. Um, very interesting interview that that guy, I just listened to it yesterday after I took these notes, you know, um, he said after a while he, he got saved and he repented and he, he gave his life to Christ. But some, he said something like told him in his spirit to flip to Matthew 23 and start reading in verse 2. And that was the beginning of his salvation. And that was really weird because I just took notes on Matthew 23. Uh, I don't know why I just thought of this right now. I'm kind of getting sidetracked because of that phone call I got. <laughs> but uh, it made me think of that. So that was, it was really weird. I know why I started, because as I was just talking about this four trees, oh, God answered my question here in verse 15. Uh, so God works in really weird ways. This has happened to me a lot since I've been doing this, um, where something super relevant comes up at the uh, most incredible time with what I happen to be studying for this. And I know there are... Uh, are very there are a lot of common teachings right in the in the New Testament Matthew but I mean if we're talking about like exact verses <laughs> exact chapters that's pretty pretty interesting there so uh, if you want to check out that interview for yourself like I said go look at the Confessionals podcast there's a free plug for you there Tony so um, for all of my multitudes that are listening <laughs> um, all right so we have three woes there. 13, 14, and 15. Um, yep. Just going through my notes. Okay, verse 16. Verse six, for 16 through 22. Woe unto you, ye blind guides, which say, Whosoever shall swear by the temple, it is nothing. But whosoever shall swear by the gold of the temple, he is a debtor. Ye fools and blind. For whether is greater the gold or the temple that is sanctifieth the gold? And whosoever shall swear by the altar, it is nothing. But whosoever sweareth by the gift that is upon it, he is guilty. Ye fools and blind, for whether is greater the gift or the altar that sanctifieth the gift. Verse 20. Whoso therefore shall swear by the altar, sweareth by it, and by all things thereon. And whoso shall swear by the temple, sweareth by it, and by him that dwelleth therein, and he that shall swear by the heaven sweareth by the throne of God and by him that sitteth thereon. So we have a, another woe. So I think that's the fourth woe. <laughs> woe unto you, you blind guides. Um... Back in the book of Exodus, they refused to swear by God's name. So instead, what had happened at these temples, 
and at these altars, they made a complex system of oaths. Some of these oaths were binding, and some of them were not. In their eyes, right? So it, it, it's not in God, God's eyes, but their eyes. Um, Exodus 20, verse 7. Let's jump over there real quick. Why not? Exodus 20, verse 7. Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless that taketh his name in vain. This is one of the Ten Commandments. So this is part of the Ten Commandments. Um... Sorry, I had a flip on my page. So Jesus is asking about, about these altars as well. So these altars that uh, are having sacrifices to it and, and things brought to the altars, he's asking, what's greater, right? What's greater, you bringing some of the sacrifice on the altar or the, or the altar itself? The thing that sanctifies your sacrifice, is that not as great as your sacrifice itself? An altar is greater than any, any sacrificial thing you place on it. So altar is establishing a meeting place between God and man. And it's, it's interesting because we think of altars as bad these in, in, in like these day and age. We think of it as like witchcraft and occult. But God actually gives instructions on how to build altars. And he actually gave a lot of instructions on altars after something like miraculous would happen in the Old Testament. He would say, build an altar for, you know, so you commemorate like what happened this day and you'll remember. Um, there, there's a lot of significant stuff about the altar. So, like the purpose of the altar was to like sanctify, make holy whatever was placed on it as a gift to God. Uh, its shape had to be perfectly square, right? So it was stable, it's unshakable. It had horns on it, on the on the four corners, which symbolized the power of God. That sounds a little weird, right? But we see in Exodus 27, verse 2, And thou shalt make horns of it upon the four corners thereof, as horns shall be the same, and thou, thou shalt overlay it with brass. God gives instructions on how to build an altar in Exodus 27. It tells them how long it needs to be, how broad it needs to be, how it should be a square, the height of it should be three cubits. So the height was important as well, the position of it. So it didn't want to be, uh, it had to be low enough so everybody could approach it, right? The tall people and the short people. And it had to be made out of brass. Brass was forged in fire. It was able to endure the judgment of flames that were placed upon the altar. So this reminds me of um, 
when Paul is talking, I think it's in Romans, how people will end up worshiping the creation rather than the creator, which is something that we see today, right, with our, our all of our liberal evangelicals we have out there about, like, global warming and all of your, like, weird nature stuff of, like, the the green goddess concept, right? Like, people end up worshiping the creation over the the creator. And this is the same thing where people end up thinking that their gifts are more sanctified than the place that they bring them to. They, they're worshiping the gold and the gifts rather than the temple that it's placed in. We we're reminded at the end, he that shall swear by heaven sweareth by the throne of God and by him that sitteth thereon. And whosoever shall swear by the altar, it is nothing. But whosoever sweareth by the gift that is upon it, he is guilty. So there's our fourth woe right there. Let's get to the next one. Verse 23. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for ye pay tithe of mint and anise and cumin, and have omitted the weightier matters of the law of judgment, mercy, and faith. These ought ye to have done. And not to leave the other undone, ye blind guides, which strain at a knot at a gnat, yet swallow a camel. Those are fourth woe. Religious leaders were obsessed with the trivialities that they had, and they ignored the weighty matters. And Jesus says these weighty master weighty matters are specifically justice, mercy, and faith. Now, this is a callback to our good pal Micah. Micah chapter 6, verses 6 through 8. Wherewith shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before the high God? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves of a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams or with tens of thousands of rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression? the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul. He has shown me, O oh man, what is good. And what doth the Lord require of thee, but to do justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with thy God. Well, that, that pretty much hits, <laughs> that pretty much nailed it right there. I mean, That is exactly what Jesus is talking about. Jesus has this funny, like, satirical picture of a man who wouldn't eat a gnat. But he would swallow a camel because they're just completely out of their mind. They have lost all their sense of proportion. Verse 24, you blind guides would strain at a gnat and yet swallow a camel. So they wouldn't eat a gnat because it wasn't it wasn't bled properly, it wasn't kosher. But they would swallow a whole camel. So these guys are just completely out of touch with scripture and reality. And these guys, their job was to study scripture. So Jesus is calling back to scripture constantly. We've been all over the Old Testament already today. 
we're not even done yet. We've been over Exodus, Micah. Um, he's referring back to Isaiah. Yeah, so like he, these are comp, these guys would have known this stuff. This is their job. That's what they did. Uh, let's get into verse 25, 26. This is going to bring back a full circle to a point that I brought up earlier, a little seed that I planted earlier. <laughs> verse 25. Another woe. Woe unto you. I already lost count of our woes. Is that, is that five? Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees and hypocrites, for ye make clean the outside of the cup of a platter, but within they are full of extortion and excess. Thou blind Pharisee, cleanse the first that which is within the cup and platter, the outside of them may be clean also. You make clean outside of the cup. Once again, talking about the outside of an object, cleaning it up, making it pretty, but the inside is still dirty. Thou blind Pharisee, cleanse first that is within the cup and the platter, that outside of the cup may be clean also. Verse 27. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees and hypocrites, for ye are like unto whited sepulchres, which appear beautiful out, outward, but are with, within full of dead men's bones and all of uncleanness. I don't know how to say this word, sep sepulchres. I know I'm saying it wrong, but what this is... Let me read this in the ESV, verse 27. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for ye are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and uncleanness. So you also outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. So when we talked about the little leather casing that they would keep all of their little their little scrolls in and they would they would make the borders broad of and of their garments and they would be they would look very holy and righteous when they were walking around but inwardly they were teaching a false doctrine full circle here now we have a reference to whitewashed tombs now before passover this is a common practice before Passover. They would clean the tombs. They would like basically like bleach the tombs. So if anybody touched one, they wouldn't make themselves ceremonially unclean for the big event at Passover. But all whitewashed tombs are is something that's pretty on the outside, but is dead on the inside. Outwardly you appear righteous unto men, but within you're full of hypocrisy and iniquity. That's verse 28. That sums it up right there. <laughs> oh, man. Verse 29. Woe unto you. Here's another woe. That's six. It's going to drive me crazy. Oh, sorry, guys. Verse 29. 
Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees and hypocrites, because ye build tombs of the prophets and garnish the sepulchres of the righteous. And I say, if we had been in the days of our fathers, we would not have been partakers with them in the blood and the prophets. Where, where therefore ye be witness unto yourselves that ye are like children of them which killed the prophets. Fill ye up in the measure of your fathers, ye serpents, ye generation of vipers. How can ye escape the damnation of hell? Wherefore, behold, I send to you prophets and wise men and scribes, and some of them ye shall kill and crucify, and some of them ye shall scourge in your synagogues and persecute them from a city to city, that upon you may come all the righteous bloodshed upon the earth. From the blood of the righteous of Abel, under the blood of Zacharias, son of Bariachus, whom ye slew between the temple and the altar. Verily I say unto you, all these things shall come upon this generation. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, thou that killest the prophets and stonest them, which are sent unto thee, how often would I have gathered thy children together, even as a hen gathereth her chickens under her wings, and ye would not. Behold, your house is left unto you desolate. For I say unto you, ye shall not see me henceforth till ye shall say, Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. That's the end of the chapter. We'll start in verses 29. So Jesus is saying that you build tombs. You honor these dead prophets. But you reject the living prophets. <laughs> you reject me, the Messiah. And Jesus prophesied that they would continue the rejection of the prophets, as their fathers did, with Jesus' disciples, which they do. They persecute Jesus' disciples. We know that. Go back to my disciples episode. Jesus once again calls them serpents, brood of vipers. Then he mentions Abel. Abel, <laughs> Abel, and Zechariah. So Abel was the first martyr, you would say, and Zechariah is the last martyr in the way that the Hebrew Bible is is organized. So Abel, back in the very very beginning of Genesis, and Zechariah, who where the Hebrew Bible concludes is in Second Chronicles, which is where. Zechariah was killed. Jesus saying Abel was the first martyr who was killed by, by Cain. And we find out Cain, he killed Abel out of jealousy because God liked the fat little calves that Abel was bringing to him as opposed to whatever Cain was, you know, digging up out of the ground. And, uh, uh, that's funny. I just read this last night, coincidentally, and that's weird. So God asks Cain, he's like, Cain, where's your brother? And Cain's like, I don't know. I'm not responsible for my brother. And then God's like, the ground is calling to me with the blood that you, sp with his blood that you spilled on it. He's like, I know you've killed him. Oh, no, sorry, I'm getting sidetracked again. 
So just as the, the fathers of these Pharisees and these prophets, or these Pharisees and, and Sadducees had killed the prophets, and they're building tombs to these dead prophets, but they're rejecting these living ones, and Jesus is prophesying that you guys are going to reject the prophets that I send to you, which are his disciples, and that is exactly what happens. Verse 37, we see Jesus like mourning, lamenting for Jerusalem. It's written in, in two times in Scripture where Jesus cries. So Jesus cries here with, with Jerusalem's coming judgment, and he cries at the tomb of Lazarus. We see the account with Jesus crying in Luke's testimony of, of this same event. I, I talked about that, I think, two episodes ago where Jesus looks over the city and, and cries for their coming judgment. But we see that this heartfelt cry and plea from Jesus shows that he didn't hate these men. He loved them deeply. He rebuked what they taught, but he wanted them to be part of the kingdom. And I'll be honest, I never knew that Jesus used a uh, chicken metaphor for protecting her hands. I did not know that was in here. This must have been like when my brain turned off when I was reading <laughs> reading this chapter uh, the last few years. But I was looking into this hen imagery for God protecting his people. And there actually is a lot of hen hen imagery in the Old Testament. Psalms 17, verse 8. Keep me of the apple of your eye. Hide me in the shadow of your wings. Psalm 91, verse 4. He will cover you with his pinions, and under his wings you will find refuge, and his faithfulness is a shield and a buckler. Oh, I'll do one more. Isaiah. Sorry, I'm just like, <laughs> this is so cool. I got the iPad. I can just go around super easy. Isaiah 31, verse 5. Like birds hovering, so the Lord of hosts will protect Jerusalem. He will protect it. And he will spare and rescue it. So I guess those aren't exactly chickens, but they're birds nonetheless protecting their young or their chicks, right? With their wings. And then we have, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. It says, you shall not see me. Until you say, blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. So this is referring back to Jesus' second coming. So, what did we learn? <laughs> outward appearance, outward righteousness, outward holiness means nothing if you're dead on the inside. I have 
a little bit more on the woes. So we have one of the seven types of Pharisees. My whole first page of notes was like a synopsis of the woes. But the woes were something that uh, was also very common in the Old Testament. And it was like a sense of condemnation. When, when any time like woe to you popped up in the Old Testament, it was a condemnation of uh, whoever was receiving the message. So the summary of the woes is that they taught about God, but they did not love God. They preached God and converted people to their dead teachings, their false doctrines. They taught making an oath, sworn by the temple or altar, was not binding. But if it was sworn by gold or the ornament of the temple, or, or if it was sacrificial, then it was binding. We find out that God says that all of your oaths are binding and I will hold you accountable to all of them. They taught the law, but they did not practice the important parts of the law, like justice, faithfulness, and mercy. The weightier measures of the law. But what we find is that they, one of the laws that they obeyed, like no other, was tithing. Coincidentally, of course, they wanted the money. They also presented an appearance of being clean, yet they were dirty inside. They portrayed themselves as righteous on account of being uh, keepers of the law, but in fact, they were not godly at all. They professed high regard for these dead prophets and claimed that they never would have persecuted them. But these are the same people who are about to persecute Jesus so as we conclude Matthew 23 we've got four chapters left 24, 25, 26 27, 28 I guess five chapters and Matthew 24 is a pretty uh, it's a controversial chapter we have some end times teachings of Jesus and who is he talking to in Matthew 24? Is he just talking to the Jews? We'll find out. I'll do my best in Matthew 24. I've, I haven't been looking forward to Matthew 24, so I don't want to take any heat. <laughs> because people are, as we can see, cannot agree on anything. And they divide over the word. And they divide over these uh, not... Like, however you interpret Matthew 24, I don't think it's going to affect your salvation if you have the fundamentals, right? The fundamentals are an important part. Once again, let's not be like the Pharisees. Let's not dress ourselves holy on the outside. Let's edify, right? That's a word that is thrown around the Christian community a lot. Let's edify the body of Christ. People know what that means. It doesn't seem like it. Stop arguing. If there's anything I missed, please let me know. Uh, reach out to me on all the socials, Empty Tomb Radio. Send me a Gmail if you want. Uh, 
I have some plans for after Matthew. I have some concrete plans. The problem is I'm so busy that I don't have time to record episodes very often. I know I've talked about this before, but after Book of Matthew, I have a plan. It's a concrete plan, and it's a good one. Um, so I'm just going to keep on pushing through the Bible um, in my downtime. It's basically like all I've been doing lately. Um I always keep talking about people de-supernaturalizing the Bible. If you don't think the Bible is supernatural, read the book of Daniel. <laughs> I read that book like in an hour last night. I got this new study Bible on Amazon. It's called like the Global Study Bible. It was like 12 bucks. So like, man, this is a killer deal. The pages are a little see-through, so it's a little tough. But check it out. It's in the ESV version. I wanted an, uh, an ESV Bible because I've been getting into that following along with uh, Dr. Michael Heiser. He reads out of the ESV a lot. So I, I'm really liking that translation lately. King James and ESV, they're okay in my book. Anyways, Book of Daniel is everything in it, man. He's talking to angels. They're appearing to him. He's interpreting dreams. There's end time stuff. There's lions. <laughs> The the funny thing about... Well, it's not funny. The thing about the whole lion's den thing with Daniel is that he was set up basically to be thrown in there. They just, like, made up this dumb rule. And they say, anyone who, like, makes any deals with God in the next 30 days, unless it's the king, is going to be thrown in the lion's den. And they knew Daniel prayed every day for, like, three times a day. So Daniel, they see Daniel praying to, to Yahweh on his knees. And they're like, oh, he made a deal with God. He's got to go in the lion's den. So they throw him in the lion's den. The king's like, may your God be with you. And then, you know, the lions don't touch him all night. And the king doesn't sleep all night. And he knows what he did was wrong. So he goes back, lets, lets Daniel out of the tomb. And he's, the king's like, whoa, like Daniel's God is for real. Like they protect, he protected him from the lions the whole night. So they get all the people that threw Daniel in and accused him falsely. They throw all of them into the lion's den. And before they hit the ground, it's in the lions smashed their bones and ate them. And they didn't just throw the people that accused Daniel. They threw the, the wives and the children. The whole family of these people were thrown in there. So that's a pretty good lesson. So that was all started from false accusations. And I think a lot of that could be applied to... Matthew 23 as well. Um, but Book of Daniel is awesome. There's gods with little G's in there that I kind of touched on before. We would know them as principalities. There's like um, angel fights with uh, the principality, a.k.a. the, the prince of Persia, that um, holds off the angel that appears to Daniel for three weeks, and then that angel has to call him back up to Michael, and Michael comes and like finishes them off there's so much cool stuff in the book of daniel if you haven't read it read it it's one of my favorite books um so good i don't know how people can think that everything in the bible has to be rational and logical and people this is the last thing i'll say 
once again, Dr. Michael Heiser said, the people that wrote the Bible were not scientists. So the real scientists need to stop trying to criticize the, the writers of the Bible as scientists. They weren't scientists at all. They lived when they lived. The Bible is inspired by God. And it was uh, a work of many, many men over a long period of time. But what it's not, it wasn't written by scientists. So we need to stop comparing it to um, scientists. They didn't have the same words that we had, right? There's so much stuff that gets misinterpreted in there. Like another thing that the book of Daniel does a fantastic job of is describing that same thing in that Ezekiel saw when it described when Ezekiel describes a wheel within a wheel, right? A wheel within a wheel of fire. And people are always like, Oh, it's a UFO. Ezekiel saw a UFO. <laughs> it's like that's not what he saw at all. Daniel describes the same thing with wheels and fire, and he describes the, th the throne seat of God with four cherubim on the side. It's the same thing that Ezekiel describes. I mean, it's like almost like a word-for-word -word description. But no one's like, oh, Daniel saw a UFO. But everyone's like, oh, Ezekiel, ancient aliens, UFO, boom. <laughs> it's like, dude, that's not even what it says at all. This is why, this little rant that I'm doing is why I say we need to look at things with our own lens and figure out what the Bible is actually saying and what it's not saying. So... Anyways, a long-winded way for me to end this episode. Um, if you guys can just say a prayer for my wife and her side of the family. There was um, a, a loss in the family today. Um, she is not here. But uh, if anybody has anything that I can pray for them about, please let me know. And I certainly will. And reach out to me if you want to have a friendly conversation on Twitter. If you want to talk about scripture on Twitter, let me know. Uh, if you want to come on the show, let me know. I got a couple of people who do want to come on the show. Or I guess maybe they don't want to, but I'm forcing them to. So I will have <laughs> some guest shows uh, in the future. And I know that my intro song is super loud. And my sister keeps saying, dude, every time I start the car, like... <laughs> It scares me because, like, it starts bumming so loud. You need to fix it. I'll fix it once I figure out how. But uh, I don't know how. To, I don't know how yet. So what I do, I'll fix it. So I thank y'all. I love y'all. Let's just say a quick prayer to close out. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for your great teaching tonight. Lord, with everything crazy going on in the world, I ask that we find comfort in your word. And I pray that you are our fortress at all times. The enemy has no power over our lives. And I pray that our own brethren and our own brothers and sisters do not turn into our enemies. Lord, please help us press into your word. Please help us discover things for ourselves. And test every spirit that comes our way with scripture. Please unite us and please strengthen us, Father. In the powerful name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. All right, guys. Thank you so much. Thank you for another long episode. I had a good time. I hope you did as well. Um, and I look forward to seeing you next time in Matthew 24. I'll do my best not to offend anybody there. <laughs>
All right, guys, the powerful name Jesus. See y'all later. Bye.